We're here, and it's a Tuesday. And today, after at least 34 people were murdered in Brussels, Belgium, over 170 were wounded in a really horrible Islamic terror attack, President Obama manfully took to the podium in Havana, Cuba, where he's been busy surgically implanting his lips directly to Raul Castro's colon to comment. Here's exactly what he had to say. This is full comment, by the way. The entirety of what he had to say about Belgium is what you're about to see. Here we go. Before I begin, please indulge me. I want to comment on the terrorist attacks that have taken place in Brussels. The thoughts and the prayers of the American people are with the people of Belgium, and we stand in solidarity with them in condemning these outrageous attacks against innocent people. We will do whatever is necessary to support our friend and ally Belgium in bringing to justice those who are responsible. And this is yet another reminder that the world must unite. We must be together, regardless of nationality or race or faith, in fighting against the scourge of terrorism. We can and we will defeat those who threaten the safety and security of people all around the world. And that was it. That was all of it. That's everything he had to say. All of it, right? You got 30-plus people dead, 170-plus people wounded in the middle of Europe, the heart of Europe. And that was it. 52 seconds. Precisely 52 seconds. That was it. Then he moved on to his comments on Cuba, in which he fulsomely praised the warm welcome of the Castros and declared the Cold War over. Uh, hallelujah, let's all go to the ballgame. That's exactly what he did. He went to a ballgame. He's at a ballgame right now. Why would we expect anything more from the president who spent yesterday posing in front of a mural of communist terrorist Che Guevara. That's the guy who advocated Cuba nuke the United States during the Cuban Missile Crisis. He also planned a prospective November 1962 terror attack involving bombing Macy's, Gimbel's, Bloomingdale's, and Grand Central Station the day after Thanksgiving. Why would we expect anything more from the president who signed the Iran deal that forwarded a terror state's nuclear ambitions? Why exactly would we expect anything more from the guy who has allowed ISIS to rise from JV team to scourge of the West? Obama stands up solidly in favor of Obama. Today, President Obama was too busy enshrining his legacy of surrender in Cuba to worry too much about enshrining his legacy of surrender to radical Islam. With leadership like this, a president who pledges allegiance to all of the multicultural, diverse ideas that make international terror not just possible, but probable, it's no wonder the West burns. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So it's a big news day, and we'll get to all of it today. We'll get to what's happening in Brussels. We'll get to what's happening in Cuba. We'll get to the infighting on, between the Democrats. Bill Clinton went after President Obama. But first, we have to note, if you feel like the Constitution is under assault, it's not because you're crazy. The Constitution is actually under assault. But if you're wondering how it's under assault, you want to know more about what the Constitution actually says, you need to go to our friends over at Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College, a wonderful institution. I recommend it to every parent who's thinking of sending their kid to college. And now, it's not just kids. If you're a parent, then you get to participate too. If you're a parent or if you're somebody who's not at Hillsdale College, you go to hillsdale.edu slash Ben. That's hillsdale.edu slash Ben. And you can get their free Constitution 101 course. It's an online course. They teach you everything that you need to know, the basics of the Constitution, how it works, what it says, what it doesn't say. It's a super cool program, hillsdale.edu slash Ben. And it is free, so go there and register, and you can benefit from it. I've been asked by some people if there are age requirements. I don't believe there are, so you can go there, sign up, and it's open to everybody. Hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Check it out. Hillsdale College, wonderful institution and a great sponsor 
Thanks so much. Okay, so today there was this massive terror attack in Brussels. Brussels, for those who don't know, is located in Belgium. And Belgium, for those who don't know, is located on the northern border of France. It also has a border with the Netherlands, and it has a border with Germany. In the last couple of decades, it's been completely overrun, completely overrun with Muslim migration. So they have major issues with Muslim migration in Belgium to the point where anti-Semitic attacks have become increasingly popular, to the point where women who walk in the streets in, in, in nighttime have, have been in trouble, uh, possibly victimized. Well, today, there were this bombing, which was terrible. It was actually two separate bombings. There were, there were three guys who walked into the airport in Brussels and proceeded to blow themselves up. At least one of them was a suicide bomber. And then there was a second bombing of the local, of the local subway station that happened about an hour later. So another one of these coordinated ISIS terror attacks. And we've seen these happening for a while. Al-Qaeda's done them, too. These coordinated soft-target terror attacks. We saw it in Mumbai when there were multiple targets attacked. We've seen it in, in obviously, France with regard to the Bataclan, and then also we saw it with regard to they tried to attack the soccer stadium at the same time. Uh, we've seen it with Charlie Hebdo, which is a multiple site attack. And so this has become the, the, the increasingly common tactic of ISIS, is to attack several targets at once inside one country. And it's been made possible because, after all, the religion of peace is not, in fact, the religion of peace. It just isn't. You know, the religion of peace, for all the talk about what a peaceful, wonderful religion it is, it ain't. Here is what the raw footage looked like from the Brussels airport today. Okay, if you can't see, obviously. We're looking at it at the Brussels airport, completely filled with smoke, people running away, bodies prone on the ground, people wounded, and it's, uh, it's a horror show. It's a horror show. They did this at the American Airlines checkout counter because they were targeting Americans. At least three Americans have been wounded. Three Mormon missionaries who happen to be in Brussels. Will it happen much more it's pretty, time? Pretty terrifying Will stuff. Will it happen more time? Uh, and uh, and then uh, the, the media went and they talked to a, a passenger from Sweden who happened to be there at the time. Here's what the passenger from Sweden had to say about this. You know, we, are, we seem to be the last train that got out of Belgium. How does it make you feel? Well, fortunate on one hand, but. Um, we have to, unfortunately, we have to try and live with this. It has become, we're, we were living in a dream, I suppose, in some ways, that uh, was uh, abrupted, let's say, interrupted. And uh, we have to deal with this uh, more and more, I think, in the future. And we have to be prepared for these kind of things. We were living in a dream. And that's about right. That's about right. You know, the Brussels police said a week ago they couldn't keep track of all the terror threats. There were too many. They, they, they knew a week ago that they had increasing terror chatter. They couldn't do anything about it because Brussels, again, has been overrun with a radical Islamic population. And for all the people who are out there who are pretending that this has nothing to do with Islam, let me give you five quick ways you can tell if maybe your religion has a little bit of a terrorist problem. If your religion has a little bit of a terrorist problem. And Islam does have a terrorist problem. You know, let's, let's go back to President Obama and what he had to say because this is basically the left's take. You know, Jeremy Boring and I, Jeremy's managing editor over at Daily Wire, we were talking this morning and he was saying that President Obama clearly sees terror attacks as just something that happens. It's just a regular part of life, sort of like a pipe breaking in your house. It's something bad, but nobody caused it. It just sort of happens. You can see that all over President Obama's face. He's mostly miffed that his grand Cuban triumph got interrupted by those pesky Islamic terrorists. You'll notice one word missing from his little 52-second statement here, 52 seconds long. There's one word that is conspicuously absent. See if you can identify the word. Here we go. Before I begin, please indulge me. I want to comment on the terrorist attacks that have taken place in Brussels. 
the thoughts and the prayers of the American people are with the people of Belgium, and we stand in solidarity with them in condemning these outrageous attacks against innocent people. We will do whatever is necessary to support our friend and ally Belgium in bringing to justice those who are responsible. And this is yet another reminder that the world must unite. We must be together, regardless of nationality or race or faith, in fighting against the scourge of terrorism. Okay, and that's we all we can and we will that, defeat those they, who threaten okay. the. And the rest of it is nonsense. The, that one line is the key, right? He 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 throws out these normative lines. Normative just means describing what should happen. He describe he he throws off these normative lines, right? Like the world must unite. We must be together. How is that helpful in any way? Are there a bunch of people out there who are thinking, oh, you know what? I was okay with the terrorist attacks, but now he said we have to unite. I guess that that changes everything. Now that we have to unite, wow. I guess that that really. And then when he says we have to be together regardless of faith, well. Unfortunately, we're not. There are some Muslims who oppose terrorism. There are some good Muslims out there who oppose terrorism. Unfortunately, Islam does have a tendency toward terrorism. And I'm not talking about the Quranic scriptures. I really don't care about those. There are lots of people who get kind of tied down to what the Quran says. Like the Bible says a lot of violent things too, and I'm not going to deny that. As an Orthodox Jew, the Bible says violent things. The question is, what do Muslims do? What do they do now? What do they believe now? Not what did Muhammad believe a thousand years ago. Why is it that so many followers of Muhammad now still think it's okay to spread Sharia through force and violence and terrorism? Why do they think that the actions of Muhammad a thousand years ago are fully in keeping with, with similar actions nowadays? Why do they think that that's a good thing? Yeah, but when President Obama says that ideology has nothing to do with this, and, and, and then he spouts lines about multiculturalism and diversity and Islamophobia, he's ignoring a basic truth. And that basic truth is that Islam does have a problem of violent terrorism, obviously, obviously, and obviously. And I'll give you five ways you can tell. Right? A couple are just off the top of your head, and a couple are statistical. So here's off, off the top of your head. Let's give you a quick test. So you just found out that a Western capital was bombed. There was a suicide bomber. He walked into a populated area, and he set himself off, killing a scores of people. He just walked in, blew himself up. And you found out that there was a second bomber who blew himself up in a separate place in order to kill scores of people. Now, how surprised would you be if I said that person was a Jew? Would you be kind of surprised? Or a Buddhist? Or a Christian? You'd be a little surprised, wouldn't you? Now, if I said that person was a Muslim and was jabbering in Arabic just before, would you, are you really surprised? Would you be surprised? If the answer is no, maybe this has something to do with Islam. Maybe it has something to do with Islam. Just off the top of my head. Right? I mean, just, that, just gut reaction. Here's another one. Okay, you have a friend. And your friend is just getting out of prison. Right? For some reason, you have a friend. Your friend has spent his whole life in trouble, and he's getting out of prison. And as he comes out of prison, he says, you know what? I've become a born-again Christian, and I want to travel to the Holy Land to visit the birthplace of Christ. That's my new life. I want to be a Christian. Would you, A, be happier for, for your friend, think he's turning his life around, or B, think he's probably fallen in with a bad crowd and you should watch out? Now, let's say that he gets out and he says, I'm a new member of the Nation of Islam. I've converted to Islam, and I want to travel to Saudi Arabia on the Hajj. Which do you think? That he's turned his life around, or maybe that, that there might be something to be concerned about? Now, those two are kind of gut responses. Right? Those two tests are gut responses, the surprise test and the friend test. Those are gut responses. And you could be a xenophobe. You could be an Islamophobe. You could be racist. So let's go to statistical tests. How about the statistical probability test? So in 2015, there were 452, 452 suicide bombings all across the world, 452. How many of them were actually perpetrated by Muslims over the 452? And I guess it, Lindsay, how many do you think? 452. How many? 
450 is exactly on the mark, 450 out of the 452. The other two were perpetrated by one, a Kurdish guy who probably was Muslim, and two, a woman in Turkey who probably was Muslim. So probably is 452 out of 452, but let's just round down. It's 450 out of 452. So if you thought you were crazy to think that maybe the guy who blew himself up in the airport was a Muslim, no, that's called being statistically correct because 99.6% of the time in 2015, you would be exactly right. Okay, but maybe you say, well, you know, so, okay, so all terrorists are Muslim, but not all Muslims are terrorists. True, right? Okay, so, you know, maybe it's just a, a very tiny subset within Islam that we ought to worry about. And it's just a very tiny number. Well, if you believe that, I have a video that I cut. You should go online. You should watch it right now. A video that I cut. It's about four minutes long in which I go through all of the statistics from various Muslim countries, how people feel about Sharia law, about suicide bombings, about terrorism. Suffice it to say, a large minority of Muslims agree with the ideology undergirding the terrorism that we saw in Brussels today. It's nonsense that it's a tiny minority of Muslims. By the way, even if it were 2% of Muslims, you're talking about worldwide 1 billion people. Right? So 2% of Muslims, to, well, what would 2% of, of 1 billion be? 2% of 1 billion would be approximately 20 million people, something in that area. So the, the, a massive number. Okay, so, let, but let, let's say that even that doesn't convince you. Finally, we get to the ideology. Okay, the ideology of radical Islam itself, unfortunately, is cancerous and problematic, and it has made inroads in, in the West because the West has gone to sleep. Because it's, there are two problems with ideology here. One is the ideology of Islam itself, of radical Islam, which is an increasingly large part of the Muslim world, springing from Pakistan and Afghanistan, and even in places that used to be more moderate, like Indonesia. Saudi Arabia is generating radical Muslims. Iraq, there's a poll in, in Afghanistan recently that showed that 99% of people in Afghanistan believe in honor killings of women, honor killings. So this is, this is the, the idea that this is a, a minority contingent is ridiculous, and it does have something to do with, with the ideology. But there are two ideological problems here. One is the ideology of Islam, and the other is the ideology of the left. So Donald Trump responded to the bombings in, in Brussels, and he responded in a way that, that makes it clear that if we were one week before the election, if Donald Trump is the nominee and we're, we're one week to the election, and there's bombing like this, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Not because Donald Trump knows what he's talking about, but because he only knows one thing, and the one thing that he knows is actually right. So here is Donald Trump about what he would do in response to what just happened in Brussels. I would close up our borders to people until we figure out what is going on. Look what look at Brussels, look at Paris, look at so many cities that were great cities. Paris is is almost almost as bad. Uh, if you look at you know Paris is no longer the beautiful city of lights. Paris has got a lot of problems in it, and all you have to do is speak to the people that live there. And you look at other places where the same thing has happened, and they're in fear. Their cities in fear, and we have to be smart in the United States and. When people come in, I mean, we're taking in uh, we're taking in people without real documentation. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't know what they're what you know. We don't know where they're from, who they are. You look at them and look at it from any standpoint. They could be ISIS. They could be ISIS related. And uh, you know, you, we just don't learn. We don't learn. I mean, Brussels is an amazing example. Brussels was an absolutely crime-free city, a one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And now you look right. at it, it's a disaster. Okay, and Donald Trump is 100% right. No caveats. He is 100% right. Everything he said there is exactly correct. Right? Donald Trump hits the nail right on the head. And I'll talk about, you know, the, he, he says there that he would close the borders to Muslims, presumably on a semi-permanent basis. 
Now, I don't agree with that. I think that you ought to give higher scrutiny when you're checking Muslims out. But, you know, there are, there are certain Muslims you let in, right? If you have a Muslim serving in the U.S. military, then you let them in, obviously, if they have no ties to terrorism. If you have Muslims who are westernized, like Ayan Hirsi Ali was a Muslim, she's no longer a Muslim, you let her in. But you have to give higher scrutiny because, obviously, the chances of a Muslim being a terrorist are significantly higher than the chances of a Christian being a terrorist. 100% true. Okay, so we'll, we'll get back to that in just one second. First, we have to take a quick profit timeout with our buddies over at Reagan.com. So let's say that you're on Gmail, for example, and you're concerned that corporations are going to target your email to market to you or that the government is going to look for a back door to get a hold of your emails and the content of your emails. You need to go to ReaganPrivacy.com, ReaganPrivacy.com. When you do, you get an email address, your name at Reagan.com, so Ben Shapiro at Reagan.com. That's cool for a couple of reasons. The first is that obviously for all your lefty friends, you get to smack them in the head every time you send an email because it says Reagan at the end of your email address, which is super cool. But second, Reagan.com, they vow and they ensure that they won't copy or scan or sell a single word of your email content. It's private. It remains private. They'll protect it from the government. They'll protect it from the corporations. They'll protect it from everybody. So ReaganPrivacy.com is where you go. And if you go right now, you get two free months, which is a pretty solid deal. Reagan.com and to access it, ReaganPrivacy.com. Okay, so Donald Trump is exactly right about everything that, that he just said. Islam is a worldwide terror threat. Radical Islam is a significant subsection of Islam. If we can't be sure about the people we're bringing in, we ought not bring in anybody. Let's be better be safe than sorry. You've seen what happened to Europe when the multiculturalism of Europe dominates the Western civilization ideology that used to dominate Europe. Europe is collapsing from within, and they're committing slow-motion suicide. And Donald Trump continues along these lines. He said he's on all the morning shows this morning. He called into all of them. By the way, quick note, everybody's getting on Trump's case and the media's case for allowing him to do Collins. Who cares? Why, why does he have to be on camera? That's such a stupid critique of Trump. There are many good, good, good critiques of Trump. And I'll give you one in just a second, but this is but that's a bad critique of Trump. Here is Trump again being correct about Brussels and the situation in Brussels. I think it's absolutely horrible. You're talking to a great man uh, in Walid. He knows this uh, stuff better than just about anybody I can think of. And uh, you have the right man. And I, I will tell you, I've been talking about this for a long time. And look at Brussels. Brussels was a beautiful city, a beautiful place with zero crime. And now it's a disaster city. It's a total disaster. Mr. Trump, and, sorry, and we have to be very we have to be very careful in the United States. We have to be very, very vigilant as to who we allow into this country. Okay, and of course he's exactly right there. And then he continues and he says, "Listen, if we have to waterboard people to get information to stop this sort of thing, we'll waterboard people." Here's Trump. Be specific, no, they won't if you do will. that because the laws are so liberal over there. They won't do that. But they should be able to do whatever they have to do to get him to give the information. And the very sad thing is he was being guarded and protected by people that were a few doors away from where he lived. And they were protecting him and they were guarding him. And it was lucky they were able to find him. And he was planning another attack. But they didn't find him because people turned him in. Those people were guarding him and protecting him. That's not supposed to be the way the system works. When you say do whatever they have to do, can you be specific? I mean, what, are, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm not looking for breaking news on your show, but frankly, uh, the waterboarding, if it was up to me, 
uh, and if we change the laws and or have the laws, uh, waterboarding would be fine. And if they want to do as long as it's with, because you know we work within laws, they don't work within laws. They have no laws. We work within laws. Uh, the waterboarding would be fine, and if they could expand the laws, I would do a lot more than waterboarding. You have to get the information from these people, and we have to be smart, be tough. And we can't be soft and weak, which is what we are right There's now. Actually, when I say we, when I say we, I'm talking about other countries also. If you talk to experts who do these interrogations, you often find a division. Some people think that kind of harsh interrogation technique works and will deliver you the information, and others say it doesn't work. You'll get false information. Are you in the camp that harsh interrogation, let's use the word torture, works in a case like this? Yes, I am. I am in that camp. I don't believe the other people. I am in that camp. Absolutely. Okay, they'll so give him, they'll read him. Trump is exactly right here. Trump is Trump again. He's Trump is the id of American politics. He says what's on everybody's animalistic brain, right? Our immediate response to this is shut the borders. Enough is enough. Torture who you have to torture to stop this crap. These people are evil. You do what you have to do to stop them, right? And all of that is right. All of that is right. And this is why I will show you what Hillary Clinton also responded. Here was Hillary Clinton's response by way of contrast on the Today Show this morning. Uh, we've got to tighten our security. I've talked about our visa system and our passenger name record system. When I was Secretary of State, we often had uh, some difficulties with our European friends uh, because they were reluctant to uh, impose the kind of uh, strict standards we were looking for. Uh, that after Paris has changed and we need to uh, do much more to tighten things up. And I know our security professionals are working uh, to do that. But it's unrealistic to say we're going to completely shut down our borders to everyone. That would, you know, that would stop commerce, for example, and that's not in anybody's interest. But we have to do a much better job in coordination with the Europeans on uh, tracking and following uh, anyone who has any connection. Uh, with terrorist activity or terrorism. Okay, so she says right there, we can't shut the borders. It's, 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 it's not a good idea to shut the borders. Again, this is why I say if we're one week to an election and something like this happens, Trump wins the election because that is disquieting rhetoric from Hillary Clinton. It's, it's not comfortable. So here's the question. I obviously have been a major critic of Donald Trump. I mean, I have been for literally months. If you've missed, if you've been under a rock for the last several months and have missed every other episode of the Ben Shapiro show, <laughs> it suffice it to say I've been highly critical of Trump. Here I'm saying Trump is exactly right, 100% right, not 98% right, 100% right on the things that he is saying here. So why wouldn't I trust him with America's national security? And the answer is this, because here's the reality of, of American politics. You can get the premises right and still get the conclusions wrong. The problem with the left is that they get the premises wrong, and so they get the conclusions wrong. Trump gets the premise right and gets the conclusion wrong. So he gets the, the it, let's say you're a doctor. Right? And, and the doctor is trying to diagnose what's wrong with you. One doctor says, everything is totally cool. There's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head. The other doctor says, it's cancer. And he's right. It turns out to be cancer. But then that second doctor says, you know what my treatment is? My treatment is basically the same as the first doctor. Leave it alone. Don't do anything. You would probably look for a third option, wouldn't you? You'd probably figure neither of these doctors is particularly great. One's better than another, sure. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to choose either one of these doctors. Trump gets the diagnosis right. And then he gets the actual measure wrong. So he's okay when it comes to, to stricter, uh, heightened scrutiny at the borders. That he's, he's right on on this particular topic. But on every other topic, he's wrong and he's incoherent. 
too. So Hillary doesn't even get to the first part, right? She misdiagnoses the disease. She won't even say it's radical Islam. Hillary Clinton is the lady who writes things like, Islam is our friend, Muslims are wonderful people, everything is cool. I mean, she actually tweeted that fairly recently. She tweeted, quote, let's be clear, Islam is not our adversary. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism, right? So Hillary gets it completely wrong. Trump gets it right, and then he gets it wrong. So here's the problem. Okay, so here is what Donald Trump was. He was asked about ISIS. He did an interview with the Washington Post, right? And here's what he had to say about ISIS. He was asked specifically by one of the reporters at the Washington Post, quote, you mentioned a few minutes earlier here that you would knock ISIS. You've mentioned it many times. You've also mentioned the risk of putting American troops in a dangerous area. If you could substantially reduce the risk of harm to ground troops, would you use a battlefield nuclear weapon to take out ISIS? Trump said, I don't want to use, I don't want to start the process of nuclear. Remember, the one thing that everybody has said, I'm a counterpuncher. Rubio hit me, Bush hit me. When I said low energy, he's a low energy, low energy individual. He hit me first. I spent, by the way, he spent $18 million worth of negative ads on me. That's pudding. And then the interviewer interrupts and says, this is about ISIS. You would not use a tactical nuclear weapons against ISIS. And Trump says, I'll tell you one thing. This is a very good looking group of people here. Could I just go around so I know who the hell I'm talking to? This is not reassuring. <laughs> this is the guy who I'm supposed to trust with his finger on the nuclear button. And then he was asked, what would you do to defeat ISIS militarily? He was asked, could I ask you about ISIS? Speaking of making commitments, because you talked recently about possibly sending 20 or 30,000 troops. Trump said, no, I didn't. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I know what you're saying. There was a question asked to me. I said that the military, the generals have said that 20 to 30,000. They said, would you send troops? I didn't say send 20,000. I said, well, the generals are saying you'd need because they, what would it take to wipe out ISIS? I said pretty much exactly this. I said, the generals, the military is saying you would need 20 to 30,000 troops, but I didn't say that I would send them. The reporter says, if they said that, would you go along with that and send the troops? Trump says, I find it hard to go along with. I mentioned that as an example because it's so much. That's why I brought it up. But a couple of people have said the same thing as you, where they said, did I say that? And I said that that's a number and that I heard would be needed. I would find it very, very hard to send that many troops to take care of it. I would say this. I would put tremendous pressure on other countries that are over there to use their troops, and I'd give them tremendous air supporters and support because we have to get rid of ISIS. Okay, just so. We have to get rid of ISIS. I would get other countries to become very much involved. I'm not even sure that's in English. Okay, but this is Donald Trump's position, right? Or positions or no positions or whatever you want to call that. In that same interview with the Washington Post, he said that he would curtail America's involvement with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, that's NATO. He said, quote, we certainly can't afford to do this anymore. NATO is costing us a fortune. And yes, we are protecting Europe with NATO, but we're spending a lot of money. Belgium is a NATO country. If Belgium decided to, to declare war to, tomorrow on ISIS, we would be obligated by our NATO treaty to defend our European allies. And by the way, NATO is what protects Eastern Europe from the Russians. If we were to disband NATO, they'd all be on their own. Trump also said, by the way, Ted Cruz hit back at that. Cruz said, it's striking the day after Trump called for America weakening NATO, withdrawing from NATO, we see Brussels, where NATO is headquartered, the subject of a radical Islamic attack. Trump is wrong. America should withdraw from the world and abandon our allies. Trump is wrong. America should retreat from Europe, retreat from NATO, hand Putin a major victory, and while he's at it, hand ISIS a major victory. In that same interview at the Washington Post, Trump said that he wanted to abandon our involvement with South Korea. This is even as North Korea develops what they're calling fully nuclear weaponry. He said in the past he won't take moral sides between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Let's not forget, by the way, you know, as anti-Islam as he sounds, as anti-radical Islam as Trump sounds now, when Pamela Geller hosted a contest to draw Muhammad in Texas just a few months back and it was attacked by radical Muslims, Trump said Pamela Geller was insufficiently 
cautious. She shouldn't have done it in the first place. It was too offensive. So Trump's all over the place. So every so often, the hammer hits the nail on the head. That doesn't mean the hammer has it right. It just means that he's got the diagnosis right and he's got his actual measures wrong. The one who does have it right, of course, is Ted Cruz, who, as I've said many times before, is the guy that I support in this primary. Here's Ted Cruz and his response to what happened in Brussels. It is long past time that we had a president who will acknowledge this evil, will call it by its name, and utilize the full force and fury of the United States to defeat radical Islamic terrorism, to defeat ISIS. And he's exactly right. Okay, so meanwhile, while the Republicans are trying to fight ISIS and Hillary Clinton is cowering under a, under a rock somewhere, as she's wont to do, President Obama's over in Cuba. And as I said before, there are two ideologies that are causing these sorts of terrorist attacks in Brussels. One is the philosophy of ISIS, Islam and radical Islam. And the second is the left. The left has been normalizing evil for literally generations, and Obama was at it again down in Cuba. Right now, as we speak, he's at a Cuban baseball game where he is sitting next to Raul Castro, the dictator of, of, of Cuba, who has been imprisoning dissidents while Obama is there. And Obama's not just going to the ball game, he's there doing the wave. Seriously, I have pictures of him doing the wave. Yesterday, we showed a picture on the program of President Obama standing in front of a, of a mural of Che Guevara. I don't know if we still have the ability to grab yesterday's graphics. If we do, it'd be awesome if we could grab that um, so that people could see what that looks like. But President Obama was, in fact, you know, he, he, he did, in fact, stand. He posed for it. I mean, he's standing there. And if there is one image of, of President Obama that should stick with you the rest of his life, it is probably that image of him standing willingly in front of that, in front of that mural of Che Guevara. It really is quite disturbing. President Obama, uh, it, that wasn't the end of it. Yesterday, President Obama was talking in Cuba, and we have clip 13, if we can grab that. Clip 13, there's President Obama talking about what's going on in Cuba and how everything's hunky-dory. President Castro, I think, has pointed out that, uh, in his view, making sure that everybody's getting a decent education or health care, uh, has basic uh, security and old age, that those things are human rights as well. Uh, I personally would not disagree with it. Um, but it doesn't detract from some of these other concerns. And the goal of the human rights dialogue uh, is not for the United States to dictate to Cuba how they should govern themselves, but to make sure that we are having a frank and candid conversation around this issue, uh, and hopefully that we can learn from each other. It does not mean that it has to be the only issue we talk about. Economics, health, scientific exchanges, international cooperation on uh, issues of regional uh, as well as global import are also important. It's unbelievable. Okay, this so we can stop it there. President Obama believes that the root of all evil is the United States. This is why the left is suicidal. Okay, the European left is suicidal. They're letting in radical Muslims. And the American left is suicidal. They would do the same. President Obama would love to do the same. And there he is in Cuba basically saying, there's that picture from yesterday we were talking about. Here's President Obama standing in front of that mural of Che Guevara, the sculpture of Che Guevara. Che Guevara, the, the terrorist, communist, racist, by the way, deeply racist guy, hated black people thought black people were super stupid and terrible at everything. Really, you can find quotes from him. By the way, a correction to yesterday's program, I mentioned the movie about him. It's not The Bicycle Thief, of course. That's a famous Italian film. It's called The Motorcycle Diaries. 
Um, but President Obama standing in front of that mural. Now, President Obama believes that America is the root of all evil. So when Raul Castro critiques the head of this communist country, and look at this picture for a second, not just the mural. Look at the building behind the mural for a second. You see the mural? And then behind the mural, you see this building. It's a garbage heap. Okay, all of Cuba has turned into a garbage heap. People are still driving around rickety old cars from the 1950s because it's such a garbage heap. And Cuba is critiquing us for being unequal, unfair, income inequality, and all the rest of it. And President Obama says, that's great. Totally hear you. I'm on your side. You're totally right. All of that is true. In other words, America is wrong. Cuba is right. And yes, they violate human rights, but that's just one of many areas where we're going to have to talk. President Obama, by the way, in his, in his efforts not to give offense to his Cuban hosts who are using him as a pure propaganda mill, here's what President Obama said yesterday about Cuban political prisoners. He was asked straight out, are you going to ask the Cubans to release political prisoners? Here was President Obama's response. Well, the truth of the matter is we've given them lists in the past, and they have responded intermittently to our, uh, to our uh, engagement. And, and this, I think, is an example of why it was my belief that this would be a more successful mechanism for us to advance uh, the values that we care about than an embargo and silence and no communications. Okay, so we've done it in the past, but we're not going to do it now. Not during the most prominent visit by, a, by an American politician to Cuba in the history of both countries. No, we're not going to do it now. I mean, maybe we'll do it later or something, but we wouldn't want to get like all ticklish about it. We wouldn't want to, we want to tick off our communist dictator friends and allies. You know, President Obama then to conclude yesterday's session, I mean, this is just humiliating. Here's Raul Castro with President Obama's clip 11. This is what it looked like yesterday with President Obama and Raul Castro after they finished their joint press conference. Our limp-wristed president being held up by Raul Castro. Raul Castro grabs his hand, and for people who can't see it, President Obama does the full limp-wristed routine. I mean, he just goes dead like a fish from the wrist on up. He's already dead from the neck on up. I mean, his, it, clearly, morally, he is anyway. And here is the president of the United States, humiliated by the, dick, the tin pot despot of a tiny, powerless island nation because that's who Obama is. He believes America ought to be humiliated. He, he, and and he, will, he will be humiliated for your sins. But, but don't worry, he's not really humiliating himself. He's humiliating you. Right? He's not humiliated. He goes there in glory and peace. So today, President Obama spoke in Havana, and after that 52-second 52 52 interlude where he briefly discussed terrorism without mentioning the word Islam once, then President Obama got to the heart of his speech. He talked about really what he intends to do in Cuba. Why is he even there? Here we go. Because in many ways, the United States and Cuba are like two brothers who've been estranged for many years, even as we share the same blood. Okay, we've been estranged for many years, like we share, the same, we share the same blood. What blood is that? He went on to say that Cuba had slaves and was founded as a slave state. Uh, so basically, we're all impoverished people of the world. And he's doing a solidarity routine with the Cuban people based on the victimization by the West. That's, that was what he went on to do. He went to say the West, the West has victimized Cuba and the West has victimized me because I'm a black guy and, and minorities in America are victimized. That's essentially what he went on to do. By the way, we're not estranged brothers. We're not estranged brothers. And if there is an estrangement, then that, like the people who we actually, we're not estranged from the people who actually want freedom there. They're just our brothers. Anybody who wants freedom is our brother. Anybody who estranges us because they want to cram down their version of totalitarian tyranny on somebody, those aren't our brothers, those are our enemies. Okay, the people who have been estranging us, that would be the Cuban dictatorship. But President Obama didn't just say that. He said, the Cold War is over. I've declared it. I declare, I don't know if you've ever seen The Office. 
There's a there's a, a scene from The Office where Michael Scott, right, who's the 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 head of the office, he's the idiot manager of the office, and he's played by by um, oh, what's it, Steve Carell? Thank you. Um, and Steve Carell, he, he doesn't understand how bankruptcy works. He's very much in debt, and he doesn't understand how bankruptcy works. And so someone tells him he has to declare bankruptcy because he has too much debt. And so he literally walks into the middle of the office and raises his hand, just goes, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> That's President Obama with the Cold War here. Here's President Obama declaring the Cold War over unilaterally. I have come here to bury the last remnant of the Cold War in the Americas. And I've come here to bury the last vestige of Cold War in the Americas. Okay, first of all, you don't get to bury anything. That's still a communist nation imprisoning people, you jackass. Yeah, there are people who are still in While you're doing the wave, people are trying to ride the wave from Havana to Florida in inflatable tires. While you're there at a baseball game, there are people who are, who are too weak to toss a ball against a wall for entertainment in Cuban jails because they happen to agree with the United States Constitution as opposed to the sort of tyranny that you agree with, President Obama. You say they have equality, their health care. You know, he went on to praise Obamacare in Cuba. So we're moving more toward the, the, the equality that you see in Cuba. And this is gross. It's a humiliation. But he, he's a humiliating president. And it's this deep desire, this hatred for the West that Obama shares with our enemies that unites them and allows him to uh, let in anybody. Anybody. We're not going to test based on ideology because our ideology is too corrupt to have an ideological test. Our ideology is too gross for us to throw, throw stones in glass houses. We're too racist. We're too terrible. We can't look at radical Muslims trying to enter the country and say, no, you can't come in. That would be terrible. That'd be Islamophobic. And that's what undergirds this whole thing. We're too ashamed of who we are to protect ourselves. So instead, what we'll do is we'll just side with the enemies, whether it's the Cubans or whether it is radical Islam. And make no mistake, the multicultural routine where folks on the left in Europe and in the United States say, yeah, let them all in. There's nothing. This has nothing to do with Islam. All that really is is a tremendous amount of self-hatred but in the end, just like every depressed person I've ever known, unfortunately, depression breeds self, self-centeredness. If you've ever met anybody who's depressed, people who are depressed are fully self-centered. All they think about is themselves all the time. It's not their fault because it's a clinical issue. But when you have the American left and the international left, they're depressed because they're part of the West. But they're depressed in that they're self-centered. And the way that they separate is they say, well, we're not them. We're not the West. We can separate enough to realize the flaws of the West so come on in and help us change things. It's really dangerous, and it gets people killed in a very serious way. So, you know, very serious stuff. Okay, meanwhile, Bill Clinton is, I think, I think Bill Clinton has basically had it with this campaign. I think Bill Clinton is saying enough is enough. You know, I've, I've, I've had it. I can't deal with it anymore. I, I don't know what happened to Bill Clinton. I don't know if his prostate finally gave out, and so all purpose in life was lost for him. It's definitely a possibility. And the, the minute his prostate gave out, he said, screw it. I'm saying whatever I please. And so here was President Clinton yesterday going directly after President Obama. Pretty funny. Now, if you don't believe we can all grow together again, if you don't believe we're ever going to grow again, if you believe it's more important to relitigate the past, there may be many reasons that you don't want to support. But if you believe we can all rise together, if you believe we finally come to the point where we can put the awful legacy of the last eight years behind us and the seven years before that when we were practicing trickle-down economics and no regulation in Washington, which is what caused the crash, then you should vote for her because she's the only person who basically has good ideas, will tell you how she's going to pay for them, 
can be commander-in-chief and is a proven change-maker with Republicans and Democrats and independents alike. And in his own – so there, there are two possibilities here. One is Clinton actually meant to slap at the Obama administration. The other is he's reusing his 2008 stump speech in favor of Hillary Clinton and scrolling through lesbian pornography in his mind. Uh, I'm going to go with B. I don't think that he meant, purposely meant to slap Obama, although he slapped him pretty hard across the head right there. The, the awful legacy of the last eight years. The reason I say that he didn't mean to do it is because he then proceeds to give two paragraphs on why Bush was terrible. He doesn't say anything about the past eight years. He says the past eight years and then the seven years before that, and then he realizes his error, and he continues along those lines, right? He says because his wife was a member of that administration. Um, but, the, but the left is, is tearing itself apart because they don't believe in Americanism. And, and Americanism is not Donald Trump's America first, last, and always. Americanism is the idea of the founding philosophy living on, that, that the idea of a small government, individual rights, individual responsibility society still lives. Now, patriotism, just for the sake of you were born here, doesn't mean anything to me. Patriotism, for the sake of the ideology of the founding, means everything to me. But Hillary doesn't believe in those things. Hillary thinks those things are terrible. So Hillary is pushing ever further to the left in an attempt to cut off Bernie Sanders. And Hillary is on the same side as President Obama, and they're all on the same side as the Castro brothers. Here's Hillary Clinton talking about illegal immigrants and Obamacare. Are you in favor of extending Obamacare to undocumented immigrants? There are two steps here. If someone can afford to pay for an insurance policy off the exchanges that were set up under the Affordable Care Act, I support that. Even if they're undocumented? Yes. If they can afford it, they should be able to go into the marketplace and buy it. But it is not going to apply to people who are in need of subsidies in order to afford that because the subsidies question has to be worked out in comprehensive immigration reform. Okay, so she's uh, moving ever further to the left, right? Let's open the borders because there's no such thing as Americanism, and then let's destroy Americanism in order to make government pay for all these people who are coming across the borders. All of this is part of a broader leftist agenda to destroy small government, individual rights, and individual responsibility because all of these things are deeply racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobic, imperialistic. It's all the left despises Americanism. You can see it from Obama in Cuba. You can see it from the international left in Europe. And you can see it dripping from Hillary Clinton when she talks about how we ought to be paying for the health care. When she's talking about, by the way, Obamacare being extended to undocumented immigrants, she's talking about Medicaid. Okay, Medicaid is a federal program that's free, basically. So we're supposed to pay for everybody who comes across the border illegally. And somehow this is not going to bankrupt us. Just awesome. How bad is the left? They're, they've come to the point where Bernie Sanders, a legit contender at one point for the Democratic nomination, he's openly allied with the Castros. I mean, here, here's Bernie Sanders being asked about the fact that he was tight with the Cubans for years and years and years and years. Hillary Clinton went after you uh, for, in her words, essentially praising the regime of Fidel Castro. This is something in a general election would, Look, no, would no doubt be used against you. I'm just you wondering, know, Anderson, Anderson, do you think the revolution let's not get has been good? Let's not get into red baiting here. Here is the truth. Everybody knows it. Cuba is a very poor country. Its economy is in very bad shape. It is an authoritarian society. Do I support their economic policies or their political policies? Of course I don't. But you know what else? Cuba produces a lot of physicians in this country. And you know where they go? They go to poor countries around the world doing a lot of good. I wish we had physicians in this country the number of physicians that we need to go to poor countries around the world. By and large, Cuba's educational system for a poor country is pretty good. 
When Castro came to power, they did a lot to eliminate illiteracy in that country. So yes, you know, you don't have to praise everything about Fidel Castro. It's a dictatorship. It's a poor economy. We want changes. But have some good things been done in Cuba? Yes. Should the United States go around overthrowing governments we don't like? I don't think so. Okay, so it's not red baiting, by the way, if you side with everything Cuba says and then say you don't. Bernie Sanders, by the way, for all those people who believe that Bernie Sanders isn't anti-Israel, he is. He said yesterday that uh, we can't just take Israel's side. Israel does bad things. Is it, the reason the left hates Israel is the same reason they hate America. They think Westernism in all of its various forms across the earth is a terrible, awful, horrible thing. Here's Bernie Sanders basically saying that. And this is everything, okay? I, I think this is important. The same people who are trying to carve off Israel from the rest of the world when it comes to the conflict with radical Islam are the same people undermining Israel and undermining the West. Israel has been fighting Hamas and ISIS for literally years, and they've been fighting Palestinian terrorism for decades. It's all the same thing. Israel is an outpost of the West in one of the worst regions on planet Earth, and the left wishes to carve off Israel for the same reason that they wish to divest from the United States. In fact, here in, in the University of California system, there was a student body vote to divest from Israel. At the same time, they voted to divest from the United States. I don't even know how that would work. Would they have to now float above the ground seven feet? I mean, I don't know what the air rights look like at UCLA, but... That's what the left is. The left despises the West, and so they are willing to commit suicide on behalf of principles that suggest that Western ideology is no better than any other ideology. Here's Bernie Sanders making that case against Israel. In this clip, replace Israel with America, and you will understand everything there is to understand about the left when it comes to foreign policy. If we are going to go forward, it cannot be that the United States just side of Israel. We've got to work with both communities to try to do what is very, very difficult and that is create a lasting peace in the region. Do you think the U.S. has not been even handed up till now? Right, I do not think so. Uh, I think that uh, overwhelmingly uh, the United States time and time again has looked aside when Israel has done some bad things. Okay, so again, replace Israel with America, you understand where they're coming from. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I don't like. Okay, things that I like, I thought this was appropriate. So this week we're gonna do some good speeches from film. Yesterday we did a man for all seasons uh, and, and Paul Schofield. Today, it's Samuel L. Jackson in a, in a film that really should have gotten more attention. It's a really good film. Have you ever seen Rules of Engagement? Anybody here ever seen Rules of Engagement? It should have been a, a bigger film. It is easily one of the most right-wing films in the history of American cinema. The basic premise is that a bunch of American Marines go overseas to what is essentially Libya, and they go there, and, uh, and they're, they're supposed to remove an American ambassador. It, was, it looks like Benghazi. They, they go there to remove an American ambassador because the embassy comes under fire from radical Muslims. And while they're up there, there are shots being fired at them from the crowd, according to the military people who are on the roof, and they end up opening fire on the crowd and killing like 85 people, 100 people, in, including men, women, and children. And the military guys, they say, well, the reason we did this is because there were guns in the crowd. There were people on the ground who were shooting at us. There were people who were not only using children as cover, but there were people who were actually firing who were children. And this is one of the gutsiest films of all time. It actually shows children in the crowd firing at American soldiers. It's pretty amazing. Here is the, the pivotal speech from Samuel L. Jackson, who's prosecuted for war crimes over this. And Guy Pierce plays the prosecutor. Here we go. This is Exhibit Q, a tape recording made aboard the USS Wake Island of all radio communications received that day, including your exact words. Your Honor, with your permission, I would like to play this tape. Well, if you got it on tape, then that's what I said. They were killing my Marines, so yeah, I said it. Waste the mother... Are these the mother... Objection. Overruled. Yes. 
These? Objection. Yes! These? Objection. Overruled. Yes. Are these the motherfuckers that you ordered to be wasted? Your Honor. Major. Yes! Your Honor. The crowd in front of the embassy had no weapons, did they, Colonel? Objection. We found no snipers' weapons either. Yes, they had weapons! You think there's a script for fighting a war without pissing somebody off? Follow the rules and nobody gets hurt? Yes, innocent people probably died. Innocent people always die. But I did not exceed my order. There are rules and Marines are sworn to uphold them. I was not going to stand by and see another Marine die just to live by those rules. Colonel. Okay, and that's sort of the idea here. You know, we've got, you've got, and this is why, by the way, Trump is succeeding, because he's basically saying exactly what Samuel L. Jackson is saying there. And that's also what the West should be saying. Not that every rule is out of bounds. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson isn't saying you just go randomly slaughter civilians or innocents. What he's saying is that you do what you have to do to, to preserve and defend Western civilization. And we don't have enough of that, unfortunately. The fact is that you do have to do ugly things in war. You do have to religiously profile. You do have to waterboard. You do have to take shots at bad guys, even though you know civilians might be in the way sometimes. You have to, these are all risk calculations, and these are moral calculations you have to make. But to pretend that those choices don't exist, or that there's anything like the clean morality of multiculturalism, where you just let everybody in and it doesn't undermine you or endanger you, that's silliness. Okay, another thing that I like, it's, it's been a pro-Trump day, I'll say. Uh, so here is Elizabeth Warren, who, uh, who I met, I've, I've talked about this before, She's now a senator from Massachusetts. It's amazing how many prominent politicians you meet when you're just a student at Harvard Law. She was a professor, a torts professor. Or actually, she's a property professor, I think, at Harvard Law when I was there. I met her uh, the, for the first time at the top of W Hotel in Los Angeles when she was trying to recruit me to the school. And she suggested that Rush Limbaugh was terrible and awful. And I asked her if she'd ever listened to him. And she said no. And I said, I'm sure you haven't, which is why you're saying all those things. Elizabeth Warren slammed Donald Trump. Uh, and she said that he's a bigot and a loudmouth and all these things. And here was Donald Trump's response, and it's pretty classic. Elizabeth Warren today on social media went after you, calling you a loser. How are you going? Are you loser, the Indian? You mean the Indian? Um, are you prepared to deal with that kind of sustained attack from both sides? Uh, it, look, look, it's very simple. <laughs> I have more votes than anybody. And if you take away the fact that I had 17 people... We had 17 people that I was going against and add some of that back. You know, Hillary essentially had one. Okay, we can stop it there. Uh, the, the best part of that response, excuse me, is the Indian. Right? He's referring to the fact that Elizabeth Warren has spent her entire career claiming Native American heritage without any evidence of that whatsoever. People call her Focahontas, um, and that's exactly right. She, she actually used as proof that she was Native American in entry in a cookbook. I'm not making this up. Called Pow Wow Chow. That was the name of the cookbook. And her recipe from that cookbook that she submitted was a recipe for crab bisque, okay? Because and she's from Oklahoma, right? The, the, the crabs of the Western Plains. <laughs> that's that's what she, she she actually got the recipe from something like Harper's Magazine, and she cut it out and repitched it as a as a Native American recipe for powwow chow. No evidence she's a Native American whatsoever. But that's that's Trump, you know. And and this is why people think Trump will do pretty well against Hillary because he's willing to hit her with the kitchen sink. It's my favorite thing about Trump. My least favorite thing about Trump is in Stuff I Hate. He, he has no self-control whatsoever. So here is Trump, for no reason, just going off on Megyn Kelly, bizarrely on CNN. This is, this is his new obsession. It's like, he, if you read about Trump, he had a deep and abiding obsession with Princess Diana, like a creepy, weird obsession with Princess Diana. He would send her flowers. She thought he was a huge creeper. Well, 
he, apparently Donald Trump has something similar going on with Megyn Kelly. And again, if Donald Trump had one ounce of discipline and any sort of ideological center, I'd be fine voting for him. He has neither of those two things. Here's Donald Trump going after Megyn Kelly, host on Fox News. She's got the obsession. She's the one that puts me on her show every night. Look at her show. Look at the airtime I get on her show. And I don't do her show. She wants me to do it so badly. Roger Ailes wants me to do her show so bad. They want to have a primetime special on Fox Network where Megyn Kelly interviews me. I say, what, what's in it for me? What do I get out of that? You're going to get great ratings. What do I get out of it? They want a primetime special. I said, no, I won't do it. So don't tell me about obsession. She should do somebody else. And I'm telling you, if she didn't do me, watch what happens to her. Watch. Now, in the meantime, she's benefited greatly. She's hotter now than ever before because of me. She should give me at least half of her salary. It's ridiculous. So um, she should give him half her salary. Uh, he, at some point, she'll shout Trumple Stiltskin, and he'll just vanish into the, into the earth. So it, just silliness from Donald Trump among the things I hate. Here's another thing that I hate. There's this cartoon that's going around, uh, and, and every time there's a major terrorist attack, the press decides that it's time to really do the necessary things and draw pictures and, and talk about how brave they are. So here's a picture of what looks like the French flag hugging the Belgian flag, and it says the 13th of November. That would be the, the attacks in, at the Bataclan and then the 22nd of March, and that would be the attacks that happened today in Brussels. And this is setting the internet ablaze. If you look at any of these various kind of hot stuff websites, they're all showing this cartoon because this is the cartoon that just shows everything. Yes, I'm sure this is really putting a scare into ISIS. Between hashtagging and, and this kind of cartoon, I remember after, after the Charlie Hebdo, everybody kept saying, Je suis Charlie Hebdo. Right? And then they, they were saying, Je suis Bataclan and Je suis, uh, Je suis Paris and, and all the rest of it. These things accomplish nothing. The only thing that will accomplish anything is if you dump your stupid multicultural philosophy and get back behind Western civilization to the point that you're willing to bomb the living hell out of the people who did this and put them in the ground. Because it turns out the guy who straps his bomb, his, a bomb to his chest and intends to blow himself up in a public area, the only way to stop him is to take his head off of his shoulders before he's in a public area. That's the only way to stop him. So I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of these particular things. Okay, final thing that I dislike for today. I don't know if you've seen this video. It really is quite terrible. Apparently, there's this little girl. She's, I think she's a six-year-old girl, is the story. is in Southern California. She's a six-year-old girl who's been in foster care. And, uh, and there's a 1978 federal law mandating that Indian children, Native American children, be raised by Native Americans. To preserve Native American culture, another part of our wonderful multicultural society, is the idea that we have to forcibly remove children from their families if those children are a certain percentage of a certain race because we have to preserve Native American culture. And let's be frank about Native American culture. I'm sure there are wonderful things about Native American culture. Being on the reservation is not one of them. People on reservations are disproportionately poor, undereducated, and die young. That's just the way it is. And it's really sad and it's really terrible. And the best thing that can happen for most people of Native American descent is to get off the reservation and integrate into American society where they can become prosperous and 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 have a decent lifestyle. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. Instead, they maintain this, this, this idea that if you are even a tiny percentage Native American, you have to go home. So this girl's name is Lexi, and her parents are Summer and Rusty Page of Santa Clarita. They're foster parents. They've been fighting to keep Lexi in her home. The Indian Child Welfare Act led authorities to seize the child. Apparently, she has 1.5% Choctaw is the idea. 1.5% Choctaw. Here's the video of the authorities coming to remove a child from her home to give her to people who don't even know her because she happens to have Native American blood. 
Stay down, guys. showing for people who can't see is the, the, the father carried her to the car where the authorities stuffed her in the car. The mother comes out with a bunch of the other foster kids who are all yelling for her because they want her to come back. She's not coming back because the federal government in this situation is evil. Okay, it's evil to value race and racial blood over the welfare of the child. Just disgusting. Just disgusting. Okay, the, the fact of the matter is the kid has nothing to do with this. And for, for you to remove the kid from the parents that she knows and to, I mean, I can't even imagine this. To a child, I can't even imagine being taken away from the only parents that I know and sent to some stranger be, to, to live on a reservation, presumably, because I have one great-great-great-grandparent who was, who was in a Native American. It's just, it's, it's horrifying. It really is horrifying. The family released a statement. They said, our family is incredibly devastated. Our hearts are broken. We are trying to make sense of everything that has happened with our three other children who witnessed their sister, Lexi, forcefully ripped away from our family by strangers. Nobody could possibly be more devastated than our six-year-old daughter who found herself restrained in a car, driven away to go and live in a foreign place hundreds of miles from her family, friends, teachers, home, and life. The federal government is a garbage heap, a flaming garbage heap of evil to do this sort of thing. And, it's, and if we allow the federal government to continue to, to do things like this, to, to use the power of the government gun in order to enforce evil laws like race above the welfare of the child, this is what we're going to get. This is, this is the tyranny that we deserve. And it's, and it's, of course, celebrated by the left because, hey, racial diversity, right? The same racial diversity that the left is celebrating with every breath, the same multiculturalism the left is celebrating with every breath in Brussels and Cuba is now coming to Southern California. It's coming right here. It's coming home. It has real-life consequences for real people, and it ruins very real lives if it doesn't end those lives as it did in Brussels today. We're going to have to keep fighting, folks. We're going to have to keep fighting because the left does not sleep. They do not surrender, except to the world's most evil people. We're going to have to teach the left to surrender to people who actually believe in an American philosophy of freedom, liberty, small government, individual responsibility, and decency. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your gut and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 